Hey everybody, welcome once again to Rise of the GM, where today we're going to be talking about a town under attack. We're going to be talking about Guardian of a Secret Society, and we have a guest host, Josh Morton, talking about what it means to be a new GM. Thanks for joining us here on Rise of the GM. Well, guys, here we are with uh, another great guest host, Josh Morton. Josh Morton has been a watcher of this show and a commenter on this show. Often we pull up those little comments. It's this guy right here. But he is here today uh, to join us and talk about what it means yeah. to be a new GM and some of that perspective of being a new GM, where we all were once. And he's not like brand new, but uh, he's more recent than either myself or Adam. So we're going to spend some time talking to him about that. We're going to spend some time talking about uh, our encounter starter and our NPC. But guys, how are you on this fine Thursday? What is today? February 8th? Is that right? Yeah. Here we February are, 8th. middle of February, guys. How you? How How's world where you're at? I'm doing pretty well. A little tired. Um, we uh, I got a chance. I'm going to plug it here a little bit. Uh, I got a chance to go to a little convention in Illinois this last Saturday uh, called Winter War. And if you're in the region next year, I highly recommend checking it out. There's some really good opportunities to play, like a lot of tabletop, uh, like wargaming type stuff, miniatures mm -hmm. battles and things like that. But they also have a lot of RPGs. And I played a, a game called the MCDM RPG that I am a big, big fan of now. That's a lot I'm of letters. Tell me for. what all those stand for. I got to be honest, I have no idea. What is it <laughs> I don't again? know what it means. <laughs> Say them again. Let's figure out something yeah, for them. MCDM. -M I'm sure we can. MCDM? Uh, uh, so, well, um, DM, I think, is Dungeon Master. So, MMC, I'm, I'm, I'm going with Marvel content. This, this wasn't supposed Matthew to be an advertisement. Control, I'm just Dungeon talking. Master. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'll figure that out. But uh, um, it, it was cool. Um, it was really dynamic and I enjoyed it. So, it was a little play test that I got to be a part of. And we played some close action. Oh. Too there with uh, Barry Hudick, who was uh, uh, on previously. So, but I'm I'm still a little tired from that, to be honest. So, yeah. I'm just going to tell you something. My wife, uh, I told her, I think Adam's going to Winter War, and she's like, "There's not even snow outside." <laughs> so, just so you know, that's yep. how Winter War. It was War actually happens. a really nice day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about you, Josh? How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Work week is almost done, so. Yeah. Gaming tonight with you guys. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, looking forward to a good one there. I'm going to ruin the GM's plans. <laughs> 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 Joke's on you. There are none. Uh, <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, before we uh, jump in, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, we'll like jump into an encounter today. But, uh, cool. Um, what makes you tick? Uh, what makes me tick? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, you can see my name. I'm Josh Morton. Um, Josh I Morton, am my from, name makes me tick. <laughs> uh, reigning from Illinois here. Um, and I played with Adam and Matthew for what now? Six years plus? Mm -hmm. Six plus wow. years? It was probably around 17 or 18 when you started, right? What? 2017, 2018. Oh, I'm like, I was not 17 <laughs> or 18. <laughs> I think in the years of... Uh, 
gaming, right. but no, 2017, <laughs> 2018, right around there. Because I remember I have a file where I had a bunch of stuff in 2017 where I was putting together the Dormant Mine. They played for just about a year before mm. that first party exploded, and then you guys were the second party. Yeah, I know Alex wasn't born, and he was born in 2018. So 2017, probably. We were playing a bit before I ever had kids, so that sounds about right. There but, you go. Yeah, love all things fantasy. You can see books and games and the whole bit surrounding me. So, yeah, that's me. He still doesn't cool. have a a uh, gaming T-shirt, though, from his I don't. Wife. Somebody, or mug. somebody, Leah, if you're listening, <laughs> fix that. We were talking before we got on here. I just noticed that I'm wearing, what does this say? Awesome, awesome, dads. awesome dads. Explore dungeons and slay dragons. Nice. Right. Awesome. <laughs> Explore dungeons and slay dragons. I always have to read it to remember what it says. <laughs> we were talking about it, and he's like, I still don't have, nobody's gotten me any any uh, gaming gifts yet. I'm like, what? We need to so yeah. make sure she watches this. Got it. And, uh, yep. we'll don't watch any of the rest, Leah, just this one. Buy him <laughs> gaming related gifts. Okay. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go ahead uh, and jump into Josh yeah. will get to sit in and help comment on our encounter starter of the week, uh, the encounter that you could drop into your campaign, maybe. Yeah. So, Adam, I'm going to let you take that this week. Awesome. What do we got? Yeah, this is a desperation on the river. And again, if you're jumping in new or have forgot, this is from the Eureka book from Gnome Stew. Um, desperation on the river. Uh, while sheltering on an in an isolated river town during their travels, the PCs learn that the town is in dire straits. Run by a retired adventurer, the town has long been plagued by a tribe of ogres that lives on the far side of the river. A week ago, the ogres raided the town and kidnapped several children. In retaliation, the townsfolk attacked the ogres and slew several of them, including the chieftain's daughter. The children were rescued, but the ogres have sworn a blood oath to destroy the town and kill its inhabitants. The mayor has tangled with the ogres in the past and knows some lore about their rituals and their tactics. He estimates that the ogres will strike in roughly a week. On behalf of the town, the mayor implores the PCs to aid them. Without the PCs' help, the townsfolk will be forced to flee their homes for good. Um, this is an open-ended scenario. The PCs are presented with a problem and a few logical options for solving it, and how they solve it is up to them. The first option is to prepare the town for a siege, training townsfolk to fight from the walls, shoring up fortifications, digging a moat, etc. The second is to take the fight directly to the ogres um, by heading up to their caves and wiping them all out. This will be difficult, as there are more ogres than the PCs can safely face alone. The third is to try diplomacy and attempt to negotiate with the ogres to secure the town's safety. This could involve ritual combat between the ogres champion and a PC or things like that. The ogres also have uh, two surprises of their own. One bloodline within the tribe tends to produce smarter than average ogres. <laughs> two of them will spy on the town. If their spying goes undetected, then the ogres will be better prepared for whatever the PCs choose to do. If caught, they can provide valuable intelligence about the ogre caves and their forces, if suitably convinced. Additionally, as part of their preparations for assaulting the town, the ogre chief will summon and bind a demon, promising the souls of the soon-to-be-captured townfolk in exchange for the demon's aid in battle. The demon will hang back and use its powers to blindside the PCs who are expecting to fight only ogres. This is desperation on the river. 
Fun stuff. I like the open-ended nature of this. The fact that they say that it can go, they're going to give you this scenario and it can go many, one of many different ways. And they give you three options. I think you Mm -hmm. could wait for the attack and resist it. You could go attack them or you could try and, you know, Mm -hmm. figure it out another way. And if there's any sorts of attacks, then, uh, there's this whole demon thing, but also there's these like spies and you get to plant in there how they're going to be. Yeah. There's going to be these uh, roles for like finding out that they're there and, and all of that business. Uh, yeah, I like the open-ended nature of it, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it can lead to a lot of fun play. And don't forget, players can always come up with option four. Yeah. You may think, oh, I've planned for if, if we prepare for siege. I've planned for if we go attack them, what's going to happen? And I plan for, you know, a parlay of sorts or a ritual combat. Right, right. And then they'll come up with, like, option D that you had no idea. And I can't even think of what that <laughs> would be right here off the top of my head. But they will. They'll think of it. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Josh, what comes oh, to mind what do for you? you guys think? Um, I like Matthew. I do like the open-ended part of it, and um, I think as a GM, probably it'd be important to like implant maybe an NPC in there that like is gung ho about fortifications because I feel like mm. at least with my party, a lot of the time, um, I don't want to call them murder hobos, but if they can fight, they're gonna probably fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, just like. You don't want to force their hand to do one thing or the other, but to put a, like, I don't know, the town captain or something, you know, mentions, hey, we've got this, this, and this, we can build a moat or like something to get their brains moving on that there are more than just moving forward and fighting. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's a good use of an NPC too. Is And even sometimes it's just a matter, it's not like thinking of two different things now sometimes i have a hard time in the in the like okay here's three options not one not getting like in my brain man this is the one i really want them to do <laughs> like i need to watch i have to watch that a lot of times but also it's like it is so easy to i think bias the group accidentally you know kind of thing mm-hmm. so i watch i have to watch that a lot um so that that's a piece of that that it's like you almost want somebody who's they're like the NPCs are at odds where it's like, this one's like, no, we're going to go kill these ogres. And the other one's like, no, 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 no. Like it would be better for let them come to us. And, but right. giving them options. Cause sometimes I think the, the players can sit and be like, I honestly don't know what to do here, you know, kind of thing. And to be able to give some, I think it's a really good point of just the NPCs giving yeah. some like wisdom and counsel, even. In I like how you bit. said, um, like the multiple NPCs, giving ideas because in reality if these ogres are attacking them in a week you're gonna have some people saying deuces <laughs> i'm leaving i'm yeah, taking right. all my stuff and i'm gone and then you're gonna have people that are like gung-ho they're like hey this is my my town we need to defend it they're like right gonna probably help you yeah 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 that's that's a good point too even like the amping the drama up by there are people literally getting in wagons and <laughs> leaving right now, you know, kind of thing. Um, I, I really like, uh, this kind of style of thing. And and I did that in the recent game where early on, but you guys were going in and it was like the, the null attack or like the Aarakocra dealing with the hag and that kind of like, it's again, that thing of this isn't just a, 
a city that is in stasis until the moment you walk into it and then it all snaps in it's like actually there's dynamic things happening and i think that's kind of a cool thing to do you know you probably don't want every single town you come into is under siege by ogres or whatever but i I think that principle is pretty cool for that i'm laughing because you bring up the hag and i'm thinking of you gave us like three pretty clear options there and then um option number four was you know uh what was it a deer a boar a something came trampling into the house from ben and then we just we just left i believe it was a celestial elk (laughs) celestial elk of course four (laughs) yeah yeah uh i think it's uh it's always interesting to throw a conundrum at people so instead of like saying oh you know we could dig a moat uh and making it seem as though that's what you want them to do having those multiple npcs but you could even go a step further you could have like the npc who's like we could fortify here i think we'd have a better chance and then you could have the other ones like we got to take the battle to them that's the only way we're going to win then you can have the people protesting outside it's like they only kidnapped our kids and we went and slayed theirs i hate our government down with our government (laughs) you could just have every every sort of option out there so that people don't know who they're supposed to be siding with and then they really have to decide but at least they've got some choices yeah 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 yeah. oh go ahead I would say just so long as that it doesn't end up in that situation where it's like, I am role-playing three different people while the PCs watch me. Yeah, <laughs> that's always, that's always fun. Good. Oh, Good I, deal. I was going to say uh, too, I know in our group on Thursday nights right now, I am a rogue and I like sneaking around and doing things quietly. And our group doesn't always like being quiet or are able to be quiet. So if you're up for a party split, you have multiple quiet people. Maybe they go scout out the cave while part of the party is also fortifying the town. I mean, you don't want to probably get your your PC killed, obviously, by scouting by yourself. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> Not I love better than killing a PC. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I think you have to have a moment it's like a, a three amigos moment where it's like, what do you do really well? You know, kind of thing. And then they all end up dressing alike and fighting the ogres. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Killed the combo there. Um, <laughs> Way to go, Adam. Way to go. <laughs> uh, Taylor's asking in the chat, uh, you know, how do you manage when you need to have multiple NPCs uh, talking to each other? You guys have thoughts on that? Matthew does it best because I feel like out of all three of us, no offense, Adam, he has the most repertoire of voices. <laughs> Meanwhile, Taylor, as being one of my players, knows sometimes when there's more than one NPC, I have to be very clear on who's talking. <laughs> so <laughs> you slip from one one accent to another, or all of them to the same accent. <laughs> uh, right. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, when I have multiple NPCs talking to one another, I try to, uh, as best I can, not spend a lot of time doing that because, like Adam said, you like I especially could get into like a full bo- full blown play of my NPCs all having a good time while the players all just sit there <laughs> watching. It's not necessarily the most fun for players, even though I I have a good time doing it. Uh, so uh, I try to be uh, cognizant of the fact that they're sitting there, and so I. 
I try to pick one of them that somebody in my little NPC montage here can throw questions at or accuse of things or you know something that kind of forces the party to speak and to to put their opinion in but when i have npcs talking to one another very much it helps to have something to differentiate okay if you have two make one a high voice and one a low voice make one a faster talker one a slower talker make one uh, you know have an accent make the other one not have an accent or you know old and young or something and they don't have to be like opposites every time you know but you know, if one talks you know, really slow like this and he's like, I think you guys should go and do so and so, then the other one shouldn't also be like, well, I think we should stay here and fortify. No, we should go. You know, it gets really confusing. But if you're like, I think we should stay and fortify, the other one's like, you would think that. You're such a blimey, you know, when you talk, you know, something that's going to give them a difference. These guys are two different people. Right. Uh, and again, don't do it too long, <laughs> which, like I said, I can get into. Uh, uh -huh. But be sure to throw to the players, you know, some sort of and it's good not just to ask them well what do you guys think because i mean that's like the easiest and that's fine uh but it's also good to be like you know i bet so and so wants to go and fight because he's always wanting to go and fight aren't you and you, you know cues and then let them answer if they just sit there quietly say see he's got nothing to say does he cat's always got his tongue when it matters and then you kind of keep accusing and pushing and poking until they say something <laughs> That's what I would do anyway. I don't know. Yeah, These yeah. are just some ideas. There's lots of ways to to uh, get people in. And again, be careful of how many. I talked earlier about like, oh, you can have the group that wants to go fight. You can have the group that wants to stay. And you can have the, the group that's accusing everybody. Well, be careful because if you get like five or six different NPCs, that's that's too many. <laughs> I would say I'd say three is probably too many. Two, two talking at once. That's that's OK. Three, maybe. So. I don't yeah, know what do you guys think. I agree with that. I, I had we had recently it was like there were three kind of dwarf brothers, you know, and it was like I tried to I tried to differentiate the two things and then there one dude just sat behind and never talked because I didn't want, you know, to bring that in, but um I I would say like I don't feel as confident in voices as like what you just did Matthew. Um but I think those even those like principles you were just saying of like I watched a video at one point about voicing and it's what it's like totally what you're saying of like, there's so many different layers of slow, like slow and low is much different than slow and high. And like trying to think in terms of those uh, kind of quadrants a little bit, it helps differentiate that. I think it's fine to say, um, you know, uh, almost like a, in, you're reading a book, you know, and it's like, uh, Dritz said, you know, kind of thing. And it's like to be able to say, yeah, um, you know, uh, Jonathan speaks up and says, you know, <laughs> whatever, Jonathan. you know, he, he's that or kind of thing. And, um, I think it's okay to, to do that too, for sure. Of, of just making it, if you maybe not comfortable with differentiating voices at this point, um, it's, it's cool to be able to do that too, but that helps me, um, just managing that and trying, like, I, I, just reiterating what Matthew's saying of like trying to pitch it to the PCs as much as possible too, and not just talk to yourself for, uh, you know, 30 minutes. Evan, Evan says in the chat, ain't nothing wrong with narrating a summary of the NPC positions to put the ball back in the PC's court more quickly. And yeah. I do, you know, that's the thing. If maybe there's a huge debate amongst the townspeople, 
And I think you could do that where it's like, this is kind of what happens. What do you, how do you all respond? That's a, that's a good point too. True. Yeah. That's and cool. sometimes they need that, they need that kind of summary. So yeah. Right. In summary. Yeah. The <laughs> because they'll get off in tangents for, for sure. who knows how long. And then one guy's over there, like talking about how much he can drink and going to the bathroom and right. so getting way off topic. And so like them kind of bringing it back can be good. Yeah. So yeah. Good sure, question. Hey, let's uh, let's uh, talk a little bit today about what it means to be a new GM. And so this is what I love about today is this this whole podcast is this idea of rise of the GM. We want to help empower GMs and we don't consider ourselves the, the professionals by any means, but we like to bring up conversations that hopefully get people yeah. who are looking to do a, a game master or a dungeon master situation. They can start to say, okay, that's ways I might do it. So we want to re- you know help all of us rise. Uh, and so Josh is more new to this. Uh, I don't know when you started actually doing I, GM. I was going to say, I think I, Adam and I were talking earlier in the week. I, I feel like it's been around three years. So not, not as long as you guys, obviously, but I'm not, but what I was going to say that I love is you've been doing it for about three years. So mm-hmm. a little shorter than us, but, uh, Taylor is somebody who's in your group, right? The one who just asked right. a question and, and starting to GM also, right? Her first session is Saturday. Yeah. See, so We're that's so what this is all about. <laughs> I consider it. Taylor my grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is my son. And he's had <laughs> okay, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's going a little too far. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. Oh, that's I'm the weird uncle. <laughs> the weird uncle right there. <laughs> But anyway, uh, Adam, why don't you kick us off in this uh, kind of talk we're going to have with Josh yeah. here today? Yeah. What, Josh, like just kind of, you know, beginning, what what was your entry just like into role-playing games and then kind of leading to that place of like beginning to to run games? So the first, first time I ever saw a role-playing game was, I think I was a junior in high school. And uh, it was actually our math teacher, Brian Delp, had like gotten together, I think it was three or four kids that wanted to play. Um, and they had played for a while. And my best friend, John, is like, hey, we're playing D&D. Um, maybe you can join. Um, and I just came and watched one session. The sad part was, is after that session, they never played again. <laughs> oh. oh, no. <laughs> That unfortunately is a scenario that many people have. They they come to like the first or second or third game of a D and D campaign, and then it never happens again. Yeah, yeah right. But so they had right. they had been playing for a long time, um, and I don't know why they stopped, or maybe they didn't stop and they just didn't tell me. I don't know. <laughs> no, we're done for real. We're not lying. <laughs> but uh, that was my first encounter, and um, with just. D&D in general or tabletop RPGs. Um, and I love the idea of building your own character. John and I, um, earlier in like grade school, would like make these crazy off the wall fantasy stories. And we'd like, mm. I wrote this down, you read mine, I'll read yours, and we'd swap. And then we'd write some more and we'd swap back. And it was, yeah, it was good. Um, I've always loved magic and fantasy and dragons and all that so D was like my way of you know exploring that world more than sitting down and reading my aragon book or whatever else <laughs> right <laughs> so um 
and then I guess how I got connected with you guys was through CCH. So the original Dormant Mind crumbled, unfortunately, right? Um, and then uh, Matthew asked Chris and I uh, if we would be interested in playing. It's funny because Matthew and I had talked about D&D quite a bit before then. Um, <laughs> and I'm like... The day has finally come. I am worthy. <laughs> I would talk to these guys all the time about what we were doing in our game stuff. And I had no idea that they were interested. They seemed like they kind of cared about what I was talking about or were interested in what yeah. I was talking about, at least, if if not playing. And so time came and I'm like, hey, I'm thinking of asking you know, these two and, and Brandon Harris also right around that time, maybe at the same time, maybe. I think you uh, asked Chris and I first and then Brandon tagged along. Take that, before Brandon. We, before we ever like started playing, you're like, oh, maybe we'll ask Brandon too. I'm like, sure. I guess we'll ask Brandon because he's just here and he hears us. Now, I uh, so I asked the three of them and I fully didn't know what to expect if they would be like, what? Uh, that's a little no. Uh, but they all, they all like said, yeah. And they came in and uh, lo and behold, the new Thursday night gaming group continued on because Adam and I had been doing it for about 17 years at that point, something like that. 14 years, I mean. And uh, we weren't ready to be done. We're like, we got to find some more people to game. Yeah. Ready to be yeah. done. Who was ready to ever be done? So we, we luckily found Josh and Chris yeah. and, and Brandon. And Brandon. <laughs> so how did the shift like you played you know and where did the kind of desire maybe to start running games come from or like how did that kind of come about for you uh that's a good question that just kind of happened i guess i we had played for a while before i ever thought i was capable of doing anything mm. um i'd say we probably played for a year or two um before I ever thought of it. And I yeah. I don't know if I, it might've started with asking you questions. Um, Cause I feel like I've had you on messenger, like as mm. top contact of, um, what should I do for this? What should I do for this? <laughs> <laughs> um, but just- He does the, that with Adam because Adam will answer him. I never do. Bingo. <laughs> Gotta go. So he will answer the question. If anybody here needs a question answered, luckily Adam is the one that takes care of all of our social media stuff. And so if you respond to that, or if you if you do something through one of our social media, you'll get him, and he'll respond like right away. I'm like so bad, but anyway. Yeah, or at I least think, eventually. So eventually. <laughs> um, I think the the switch though was like I was having so much fun in the dormant mind, and like to piggyback off of what I said earlier is like my friend and I in grade school, we would just like come up with these random stories. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of like being able to take a world and do whatever I wanted to with it yeah, and like yeah. create that and have other people in it doing their mm -hmm. own thing was like mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So kind of leaning into that a little bit, um, we ask these questions, you know, when people come on about the eight types of fun and the the three hats, you know, that people wear as, as a GM, um, if, you, if you remember those, you know, like, where do you feel like you kind of fit into that as like both a player and a DM? Um, I feel like player and GM narrative is pretty high for me. I like writing. Um, 
I think that's probably why I take notes. Um, <laughs> for he is our the note game. taker. Yeah, he's our note taker. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> is because like I want to see how it fits all together, and that mm -hmm. kind of goes into the second type of fun, which is discovery of like okay. discovering yeah. how all those puzzle pieces and how the big picture things are coming into focus. Um, yeah. And the third one, I don't know if you asked for three, but um, if anybody knows me, I'm very social. Um, mm. So fellowship is pretty high up there too. Yeah. So just being to hang out with friends and have a good time. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, looking at the like entertainer, facilitator, storyteller kind of thing too, you feel like you fall into those in a certain way? Uh, I don't think I'm that entertaining. <laughs> um, I I would say storytelling maybe like I have a story mm -hmm. to tell. Um, I I'm blanking on what facilitator even means. That's uh, like dealing with the rules and uh, what's edu edu educating, keeping, keeping everybody like the, involved, yeah, educating, educating, uh, like yeah. being the one who like makes sure that the game flows, that everybody gets a say, that the talkative ones aren't taking over, that the quiet ones get a chance to do something, yeah. that the the rules are being um, done correctly. Yeah. I mean, like you guys said on the podcast, I think you have to have enough of all three of those to have yeah. a game worthwhile. Um, I still think I'd probably lean in the storytelling uh, the most. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just that world building is where it's at for me. So. Yeah, that's cool. So as you've like jumped into GMing and you, know, you said that I had been around three-ish years kind of thing mm -hmm. um what is what is the process been like for you starting that you know kind of getting to this place of i know you've done multiple things you've done some one shots with us before mm -hmm. or even like mini campaign kind of things and oh, the one like, that we never finished yeah it's still out there to, to finish at some point <laughs> it but, sure uh, is. like kind of beginning that and then kind of where you're at now like what what's that kind of arc been like for you um, well, I don't think you stop asking questions, and Adam, as my witness, can probably say that, that I still ask him questions all the time. Um, I don't know. I think I, so when I first started, I thought modules were where it was at. I didn't have to lean so hard into my own brain. I, I didn't know the, I knew the rules, but like I was, you know, you're nervous about running mm -hmm. a game. Um, everybody's looking at you. Um, so I think as a new GM, it is good to like maybe do a one shot where everything's spelled out for you. Um, mm, yeah. As a GM now, honestly, I hate one shots because I have to read them a thousand times to make sure <laughs> I don't forget something. Um, and that's a lot, that's a lot of work. Um, hmm. compared to improving something off the top of your head, I think. Um, I Another thing that I did, and I think you guys talked about this in your world building series, which hmm. was the one you're still on. You haven't finished that yet, right? Right. Yeah. Um, is the first game I played was The Dormant Mind, and Matthew had this great big, huge, amazing map, and hmm. it was so daunting to me to, like, find a map that i liked mm. i looked and i looked and i looked and i looked 
and I just I couldn't fall in love with one. But I had already fallen in love with the dormant mind map. So <laughs> I'm like, um, I'm just gonna steal his map. And um, it's funny because Matthew has little like he's named some of those towns on that map, right? Mm. And so I don't have the same names as him for some of those places. Yeah. And I'm not cool enough to like Photoshop those names out and put mine in. <laughs> so my players are like, Kalefall? What? It says Kalefall. This isn't Feolin. It's Kalefall. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is a, this is a very old elven map. Um, yeah. That was the ancient name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. So, um, and Taylor, you're listening. So that's because that maps is maps. <laughs> uh, my my main goal is to try and intimidate people into like not feeling like they can ever. You're like I was so intimidated. <laughs> so in your mind, Josh, for with that, like, is this? And I'm this is kind of a joke question, but is it is it the same world? at a different time period is it a, a different uh like is this a branch of the timeline like what's going on there it's not a joke question because that's so hey, cool. cool in yeah. my head and i don't know if it'll end this way but in my head and i can't say much because taylor's on here dang it now you get um i in my head when i'm mapping all this out you know you do your arcs and whatnot and you kind of have like an ending in mind mm. where like our process of like gathering those items and like beating back the force like this is before all that happened and how those things were maybe created Wait a minute. And yours they were is sealed away the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why we need that. to finish it, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's yeah. <laughs> I can't do it afterwards. I don't know how it ended. I know how it started, though. <laughs> so, wait. Awesome. Are you saying, like, my, wor my, my timeline comes before, before your timeline, or your timeline comes before my timeline? Mine is a prequel to yours. Prequel? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Very cool. Who knew? I did, but you, yeah, we've never had this conversation. <laughs> cool. Well, that, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, like, kind of in the process thing, just kind of getting back to that, just mm -hmm. I derailed it. Um, <laughs> the You talk about, like, kind of starting with modules and then moving into maybe more of your own style of things and be able to do not just one shots but longer term things and right um I, I do think like i mean we've we've talked about that before of uh using like if it's not broke don't fix it kind of thing of like that i think that's a totally cool thing to make use of things again you know and um get comfortable with that but as you're getting into your own stories like what has that process kind of been like um so history time I don't know if anybody knows this, but I used to be a teacher. I don't teach anymore. But um, when I first started GMing, I'm not kidding. I would almost script everything out. Mm -hmm. um, I just had to know what that was. And when you're in school to be a teacher, like at Eastern, we had to write these insane lesson plans. Like mm -hmm. they were seven or eight pages long. As an actual teacher, though, you don't write seven or eight lesson plans or page lesson plans. It's like they ingrain that the practice was basically, you know, you write these lesson plans and you get used to what you should be doing mm. on your own. 
And so I feel like I kind of did that with GMing, not even thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. But I scripted it all out for a while so that I I was comfortable and where I needed to go. And now I I mean I might have a page or two of notes and I know where I kind of want them to go, but right. I don't I don't have 17 pages of notes anymore. Thank God. My wife probably follows. loves that too. <laughs> it's hard to follow 17 pages of notes at the mm -hmm. table too. It, yeah, 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 for sure. And that's a thing to note too, I guess. I have only ever ran an in-person game once. So all of yeah, my right. experience has been on Roll20. Um, yeah. So that makes, I feel like Do that you like makes. like it? Yes, no, kind of. I was so nervous the first time I ever GM'd in person, and Taylor can tell you that. Um, mm. She was there. Um, I do like online for a handful of reasons, and I think it's the resources that I have having three computer screens in front of me is is there while um, you're kind of tied to what you have in the moment at a table. Um, I always just had three computers at the table. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did have a computer and an iPad and a phone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you used to do that, didn't you? I did. When we were at your house. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. And I derailed myself, so I don't know where we were at. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. Now, I, as far as like the GMing, you know, seat kind of thing, what do you, what do you feel like maybe is the greatest difficulty that you've experienced in, in being like a, again, fairly new, right. recently new kind of? Um, I, I keep coming back to the dormant mind because that's where we started or that's where I started. Um, Dormant Mind is in Pathfinder. Um, my longest standing campaign has been in Pathfinder. Um, and the way Matthew runs things is very different than rules is written, right? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I feet every level, this, that, and the other. And so when you are, I'm going to call it power playing. Um, when you're power playing like that, I feel like my biggest difficulty as a gm is finding that right level of an mm. encounter to throw at my players um and if you guys were here last week the question that adam and matthew answered at the very end mm. was because i have a hard time as i'm trying to mentor taylor in gming how to how to do that yeah, <laughs> because yeah. i'm like it's like a shuffle of oh, that encounter was not so great. I'm going to do this next time. And it really is like a learning experience hmm. of that. But at the same time, you should probably think as a GM, not every single thing that you throw at people should be like life or death. Like um, you're not always going to come across like optimal level things as you're adventuring across wherever. Um so I think yeah. that's the hardest thing that I've, I mean, I still struggle with that. Um, mm. But yeah. Yeah. I think that can come up even no matter how long you've gone, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. I, I, uh, I feel like even the last session we played, there was a little bit of that for me where it was like, Oh, I kind of thought this was going to be a little bit more difficult <laughs> for this crew, you know, to wasn't supposed to like kill you, but it was like, Oh, that was, one and a half rounds. Okay, cool. You know, kind of thing. And um, <laughs> me and Matthew so, poured very, rolled very poorly 
in initiative mm. and we're at the bottom and we yeah. got to attack once on yep. this like great big huge boss guy right the skeleton yeah. guy oh. that's what you're talking yeah, about kind of yeah i mean that was <laughs> nothing that's nothing He's an avatar. <laughs> yeah just a little avatar so it's cool so josh if you um or before i guess i ask that question uh what what's like what's your favorite kind of system to play in what have you enjoyed i know we've we've done some random things on thursdays and i don't know what like outside of there you've played but like right. do you feel more comfortable in specific systems both player and gm i was just gonna say that um so i'll just list off what i've played before um the list is not long <laughs> so pathfinder and matthew royal asked last week and i couldn't tell him so what is it pathfinder what two one okay one pathfinder one um D D 5e i played um red markets which i do love i've watched all the walking dead i'm a big zombie nerd at heart <laughs> <laughs> um and then sentinels of the multiverse rpg and that is where my uh repertoire ends for tabletop rpgs starfinder oh snap i for how could I forget? <laughs> yeah, Padawan. Oh. <laughs> yes, Starfinder. Um, reliving that real quickly in my brain. Um, <laughs> come back to that later, Matthew. <laughs> um, my favorite as... Uh, it's so hard. I like 5e for its simplicity. Um, I think it's easy to pick up, easier to pick up. Um, but there is still something that's, and it's probably just because it, it's the thing that I started with. I really like Pathfinder because you can differentiate so much. Like there's so many skills that even if this doesn't usually happen in a party, but if me and Matthew were both a rogue, like our skills could look very different. Yeah. Um, we could be totally different characters. Um, while I feel like that's harder, I know you have subclasses in 5e that really veer you off in different directions, mm -hmm. but like stat wise, skill wise, um, I feel like it's hard to get that separation, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I might be completely wrong in thinking that way. You can tell me if I am. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think it's a continuum. There was like, um, you know, I don't want to say Pathfinder's all the way on one side while 4E was the other. But 4E, it wasn't just like if two rogues, how do you differentiate? It was everybody. How do you differentiate? Everybody mm -hmm. kind of kind of feels the same with different descriptions, but they do exactly the same thing. I've heard you uh, say that before. I've never played that, yeah. but I've heard you say that multiple times. Yeah. I think they realize that. And 5E is a step back toward, hey, let's... Mm -hmm let's keep it simpler but let's differentiate let people have some differentiation and i taylor's listening to this so this might not be a great close your ears taylor i had told my group while taylor is running her session that i was debating on switching all of my stuff to 5e that's how mm -hmm. how much i kind of enjoy 5e and i know we're playing 5e right now um but the more i was trying to help her get ready for the session one on saturday uh we had talked about building an encounter and matthew has talked about combat manager a thousand times on here <laughs> i love combat manager um yeah we need to we need to like send an email to the guy who created it saying <laughs> hey keep up the good work don't let yes. this die 
Yeah, um, <laughs> I love Combat Manager. I use it every session that I've ever GM'd. Mm. And as I was helping Taylor figure out her encounters, I'm like, I don't have Combat Manager. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that we're actually switching to 5e anymore. <laughs> yeah, we might yeah. stay in Pathfinder because I use that so much. So if you haven't checked out Combat Manager, it is on your computer. You can get it uh, on your browser and download it. Uh, it's, it's a great. small, small little program. I'd open it right here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to open it because it tells it. the guy's name. It's Kyle so Olson, O-L-S-O-N. You've been Kyle called out, Olson. Kyle. So uh, if anybody knows how to get a hold of Kyle Olson, we can all we can all let him know how much gonna... we enjoy the work he's yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of jumped over this, Josh, moving into that, but um, we talked about the difficulty, you know, like just like a difficulty, what's the greatest difficulty? What, what's been like fulfilling as a GM over the last years? So GM and teaching just collide in another area. Um, my favorite part of teaching is you're teaching something, you're teaching something, not all your kids are going to get it at the same pace, right? Mm. But eventually you have that light bulb moment. Mm. I think that's my favorite part of GMing. It's like you've built this story, you're kind of piddle poking around yeah. things to make players come to realization that all these different backstories and whatever are coming together to do whatever you right. want in your world and that like light bulb moment um is pretty great and you don't get it every session but when you do you like walk away and you're like yeah i've done something <laughs> they got it <laughs> yeah so mm -hmm. uh i think that's the most fulfilling part of yeah. gming for me yeah. Yeah, and it's uh it's hard cuz as the GM uh I, I you feel like you always want to have so you had Adam you could always ask questions about mm. um Adam and I kind of had each other not to ask questions but to kind of bounce stuff off of while trying not to give stuff away cuz we're always playing in each other's games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do think that there is something important about not just being the lone ranger when it comes to being a GM. Amen. Yeah. Uh, but the hard part, the hard part about not being the Lone Ranger is you really want to tell somebody what's going on. You really want to tell somebody, man, they don't know it, but when this when we get to here, craziness is gonna yeah, this yeah, is yeah. It's gonna blow their minds. Uh, but you can't tell anybody because they're in yep. your games. So yeah. my person <laughs> if you have a GM who's not in your game, that's even better. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that person for me used to be Brandon Laswell, and then he joined my campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like Okay, Adam, I'm just going to talk to you a lot now, okay? <laughs> I love it. And then, Adam says, and, I will never join your campaign now. It's funny because Taylor is in the same exact predicament. Like, mm -hmm. I can only help her so much without her just spilling the beans. So I'm like, right. Adam, can you should talk to Taylor. <laughs> so, oh, I know so much about this game now. You don't even know. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. No. <laughs> it will be not better be so one last thing one last question josh unless matthew has some to, to throw in there um if you're you know you're you're speaking to ascending gms people who are interested in uh just working on their craft or maybe they're brand new um what's the one or two things that you you know would want to share that maybe you haven't already uh, for someone who's stepping into that role 
Well, I think you guys have talked about the rule of cool, right? Mm -hmm. um, the rule of cool or the rule of fun? Now I'm taking fun, it out. I think is there you go. <laughs> I like the rule of cool. I, I, like good, I said the rule death. of cool and Adam and Matthew are like, did we say that? <laughs> I, I was <laughs> thinking, that's awesome. Let's go yeah. with the rule of cool from now on. <laughs> both, both of those are good rules. Um, you don't have to be a stickler on rules. Um, if something's going to make somebody's day or make something come to light, like let that happen. Now, obviously, you can't just let them walk all over God's green earth and be deities in your world. Like, what fun is that? Um, <laughs> but the rule of fun of, or the rule of cool, whoever you talk to, um, <laughs> I think that's a good rule. Um, I also... Uh, we just talked about the whole like mentoring thing, having someone to bounce ideas off of or just to talk to, whether that is yeah. to like get your thoughts out of like, does this storyline make sense? Or even like I ask you like, okay, we're going into this town. I as a GM hate cities. I hate them <laughs> with an undying passion um, because I as a GM feel like you have to have so much prepared for that. Mm. Um, and so just being able to bounce ideas of like, right. hey, what can I do in the city or what do I need to have ready or just that mentoring relationship. Right. Um, this is big for me. And we just started this on uh, Sunday nights is I know on Thursdays when we switched to online, we always had Zoom um, and we had cameras on. But on Sunday nights, that has almost never been a thing. Um, we just jump on Discord. It's a voice channel. We just chat um, and do it that way. Um, but Taylor and I, I don't know, probably a month ago, decided, hey, we're going to turn on our cameras. And so the last session we played, um, everybody had a camera on. Um, and I think there's something to be said about having cameras on and being able to see the people you're playing with. Um, I know if you're sitting around a table, that is no problem unless you're wearing masks and ski masks or whatever. <laughs> Which but... would also be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know, just being able to see facial expressions and mannerisms and like how right. people react to things um, is amazing. And uh, I personally am not a good poker player um my face gives away a lot of things he's, um, he's telling the truth so when i've jammed <laughs> on thursday nights um i have turned my camera off because people are doing things and i cannot control my face um so i don't know it's just fun being able to see the people you're playing with especially if you're doing it online so i would say there's probably some GMs out there uh, who come across this channel, watch some of this, and uh, you have always kind of been like, I, you know, whenever me and my friends get together, I'm the GM, and uh, we, we do this, and it's really fun. And uh, you may even say, you know, sometimes I'd like to play, but secretly down deep inside, you love being that role of GM. Um, I I sometimes follow that. I like being, I like having like that control. I like being able to do all those NPCs, all that kind of stuff. But do uh, take the uh, initiative to like look around and see who might be able to run a game or two in your at your table. And 
suggest that. Sometimes people will never step into that until you suggest it. Say, hey, you know, why don't you run a, this? I can help you, you know, kind of figure out how you're doing that. But, or would anybody here be interested in running a game? And it does feel like a little loss of control to step back and be a player when somebody else uh, begins to do that GM role. But you find, you'll find that you can multiply your, your fun and your ideas and you can get sparks of stuff that will help you keep from burning out as a GM. I think there's just a lot of good to being aware of the people at your table who might step up and run a game. We, in our, at our table, we rotate that. And I think this is a lot of tables. We rotate that and, uh, Sometimes it'll stay for a good bit of time on one GM, but uh, then we'll move and let somebody else do it for a while, move and let somebody else do it for a while. And I think there is good that comes out of that. Aside from the fact that you get new ideas and stuff, you get to raise up new GMs, which is a good thing. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, that's some, I've actually thought about that on our kind of personal level of like, that would be cool to see happen more and like give more control over, like you're saying. So, um, that that is a really good thing. So, it awesome, is so Josh. Hard, or it is hard sometimes to mm -hmm. give up that control. But yeah. like he was saying, and I've told Taylor this, I step back from Sunday nights because I have reached that point where I've done it long mm -hmm. enough that I'm like, I'm not super passionate about this right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, let Taylor do her thing, which is going to be amazing. Yeah. And by the time she has reached that point then we can switch it back over to me or someone else yep yeah right so that's cool or if you're like me and adam every time i get busy at work he gets to be the gm <laughs> i'm mentally overdone adam you're on <laughs> whether good. he wants it or not no, no, he, whether you want it or not he has always yeah. been great about i can run something which has been life-saving <laughs> so yeah awesome Thank you, Josh. We appreciate yeah. it. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead, jump to our NPC. Uh, we every every uh, episode we try to throw out an NPC that you can use in one of your campaigns. If you're looking for an NPC, this one is Sir Pinneford D'Auberville. I was uh, talking about this before we started. All I could think about was Tess of the D'Aubervilles. If anybody reads literature, and so I had to go back and read the plot of that again to these two guys. <laughs> Uh, they they really could care less. But this is not the Herbivilles. This is Sir Pinneford de Abbeville. Uh, he is the ordained guardian. So uh, his appearance, he's sharp featured. He's got a balding head and a hooked nose. He wears a fine doublet of green and gold. Dress is really nice. Tight fitting leather breeches. Breeches. <laughs> uh, so I'm from the South. We call it britches. Uh, uh, chaperon trimmed with fox fur billowy sleeves conceals leather van braces and a pair of dueling he has some dueling daggers up there so very nicely dressed but also has that little bit of the, the dueling daggers uh, in role playing him Pinneford loves to flaunt his knowledge he's always quick to talk about what he knows he's quick to correct and um, speaks in a rapid and flowery way always on the lookout for spies or people with hidden agendas so he's, he's that information seeker. Uh, he'll shamelessly ask probing questions of anyone. Uh, he's a bit of a snob, and he favors the royal we. You might hear him saying, like, oh, we see great danger in this. You know? mm -hmm. So he's a, he believes himself a keeper of knowledge and superior to other people. Uh, it's what he can't share with others uh, that are simpletons around him that truly bothers him. He's like a GM. He wants to tell everybody everything he knows, but he can't 
Yeah. Uh, he, uh, his motivation is he's, he's confident, but for good reason, because he's well-educated, he's well-financed, uh, and he seeks to preserve the order at all costs. What order, you may ask? Well, he is part of the Order of Nine. It's a privileged secret society that steers governments and individuals according to their mostly benign agenda, okay? So they're not trying to do big evil things in the world. Not, they're, they're mostly just interested in whatever it is they, they want to have done, the Order of Nine. Pinniford's wealth and parentage assured his ascension to this order, uh, and his penchant for maintaining loyalty at all costs won him the uh, position of legate, right? So as legate for the Order of Nine, uh, he's tasked with preserving their time-honored rituals, ferreting out those who would oppose their plans, uh, and to this end, he has been well-trained in martial arts, which would surprise many who would cross him and see him just as this academ academician. So he is uh, a guy who looks like a well-educated, well-bred, and people might not understand kind of everything that's going on in his life, but it's all about knowing what's going on, knowing who's doing what, steering what's going on, but also being able to fight when necessary. I kind of like this NPC. What do you guys think about Sir Penniford de U? Da blah, blah, da Abbeville. You'd have to like really work on saying that last name. Da Abbeville. Josh, what are your initial thoughts? I know he's sharp dressed, and what did it say? I'm gonna pull it up. Sharp dressed. Everybody's er, crazy about a sharp yeah, dress. Sharp featured. Alding head, hook nose, wears fine clothes. I just get. I always. I just finished watching Game of Thrones again, and you know how. Well, Matthew does. Uh, Maester. Pycelle, uh, how he's like this old man who just like doesn't look like he's much, but mm. in all actuality, he's like this fit guy who is pretending to be like this crotchety old man that doesn't like couldn't fight, couldn't do anything. But when it came down to it, he probably could put up a pretty good fight. Yep. Um, I don't know. I get those vibes for him. I feel like um, taverns are a big hit in RPGs. <laughs> um adam does have some of the best taverns i'm just saying moon the sun whatever <laughs> else you. dragon's breath um <laughs> but um i feel like this guy hangs around those places to get mm. all of his information as all these adventures come through um or maybe he's an advisor to a king or a queen or a a lord of something um i don't know how i would attach him to my story but those are the places where I, I feel like I would see him. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he'd be at one of the nicer taverns. <laughs> he wouldn't hang out at the seedy place so much. He would be at the moon in the, the sun right. and the moon. Yeah. The yeah. Sun the moon. Uh, this is a good connector to the, the like cults, factions and uh, guilds kind of guy. I feel like with, especially with this order, I want to know about this more about this order. I want to see that develop. I want the to discover that. Like as I read this, like I, I like him, and I think it's a cool, uh, like personality to put into that. But man, I want to know more about this group of people who are like guiding governments and have their own plans. Like, what are those plans? You know, I, I think that would be a really cool group to bring in and um, tying that into like you know maybe he's somebody they they have had some sort of connection to the order of the nine or like uh, uh, have had an encounter with them. And now he's someone who comes out of the woodwork of bringing him into that, or, you know, it could be the opposite way where they meet him and then get, 
introduced to the order of the nine, but um, that I think is a, is a, would be a neat thing to just see people go deeper into the plot or deeper into like, what are they actually trying to bring about in that, you know, kind of thing. Your book doesn't have what the order of the nine is, does it? Right. No. And that's so the beautiful that, thing. I was going to say, that's the best thing is like yeah. these little tidbits, they give you snippets of whatever, and then you can yeah. make them what you need them to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love any of those kinds of things. Does the Council of Five ring a bell to anybody? Yeah. Uh, I love taking them and like developing each of those characters too. Uh, so nine is a lot. I'd have a lot yeah. of... Uh, and you don't have to introduce them all at once. This could be like a secret society. You meet this guy, and then later you'll meet maybe one, and then another. Maybe you'll get to all nine, maybe you won't. But you begin to like see different different parts, different faces of this order right. of nine. Because like this guy is not all of them. All of them aren't rich and super educated, but at the same time, uh, much more you know uh, the fighter than you would expect. Some of them are going to be completely different than that, and that's yeah, what makes yeah. it fun. Right. So, yeah, that's NPC cool. there for you, Penniford. I'm not even going to try to say that last time. <laughs> Duabaville. Pinneford Duabaville. <laughs> and of course, if, if you have a hard time saying that, you can always change it to something that just rolls right, off your tongue right. easy. So, Gotta uh, love those D&D change. names. All right. Hey, let's uh, let's jump into our haversack. We had a bunch of yes, questions in the haversack last week. We didn't have a lot of time, so we just pulled out what was on top. But we're going to get to some of those other ones here today. Adam, what do we got? Yeah, so uh, we're going to start today. Um, the most, the longest running one we have here is uh, from Eric Bright, and there's it's a, actually a five part question, five question part thing here. Um, so uh, we'll read this, and it's got some really good good things to, for us to think about. Um, the first one's going to be about uh, weaving magic into the world building process, but I, I want to read his email here. Uh, good day, gentlemen. Um, I really enjoyed the guilds, factions, and cults episode, and in particular, how you differentiated between guilds and factions. However, when listing some standard guilds, I must say that you left out the most important guild of all, <laughs> the Wizards Guild from WAV. As far as I'm aware, my character Ranthar Darkfire is still the head of the Wizards Guild in Onan and may feel the need to drop a fiery Greyhound bus spell in retaliation for being overlooked. This leads me to my first of a few follow-up questions. Uh, number one, what are some interesting ways to weave magic into your world building process, whether through guilds or otherwise? The more I play, the stranger I find it that every tiny hamlet isn't a perfect utopia with a single druid raising all the crops and a wizard casting unseen servant to harvest everything. With magic permeating most fantasy worlds, what in-world reason can ascending DMs have for magic not solving all of the world's problems? It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I very much see this as magic is a limited resource. Uh, and even the powerful people, they they can't just sit there and cast like constantly. And people are ambitious. They do what is good for them. So this idea of like, oh, you have like this, you know, what did he say? Who who made it grow? The druid. The druid. Growing it. Yeah, <laughs> the druid makes things grow and then the you know the other person you know does yeah that's all fine and dandy if everybody was like uh, only for the good of society and not for the good of me you know it's like i got this power uh, and even people who are are good still sometimes will run out of power they they just don't have enough uh, the truth is you think about like 
how much it takes to make something grow. You make a vine grow or whatever when you're fighting, but you picture that in a whole field. The field's big. <laughs> you're going to run out of your spells like after about like eight little, maybe eight rows <laughs> if you're really powerful. So you're not going to be able to like uh, grow stuff for everybody, uh, even as a very powerful person, but you may be able to kind of help in some situations. But uh to not have just like the magicians doing ever the, the 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 wizards doing everything, I would let you know it would very much come down to the fact that nobody could really do all of that. The world's a big place. What's the what's the line? Uh, oh no, that's that's the opposite. It's a small world, but I would I would uh, mow it. <laughs> it's a big world, and I still don't want to mow it. Yeah, or make I, the plants grow. I in my more pessimistic thought process, I think, and I think you kind of hit on this a little bit too, but it's, I think there's a lot of people in the real world who have a lot of ability to do things and they don't because they're doing their own thing, you know? And I, I think like, I think in terms of that, a lot of times is, yeah, these wizards are worried about their research or their own power structure, or they're trying to learning and that, why would I, why would I sit around and cast unseen servant to help this village out? You know, when I can, do whatever and um and that's probably a concentration spell right unseen servant yeah, probably, you can't I, just like do it know. and leave you yeah, gotta sit yeah there and think about sure. what that guy's doing the whole time right so i i you know i will like honest thought is i haven't thought about this a ton um in in my games but um if i think real hard about it that's probably one of my justifications is like people are are self-oriented and they're not gonna do that as often but i think it is interesting to think about like in a game with when i'm thinking that in that terms like that there is actually a place where the druids raising all the crops and the wizard is helping do that and mm -hmm. this you maybe it's a utopia with the quotations you know it's not there's something going on under a line that's not as good maybe but i think that could be an interesting thing of actually seeing that and then juxtaposing that against like yeah but here's all these other places that people just don't care in that way you know kind of thing um i think that's kind of the way i would typically think about that but also the that idea of limited resource um you don't see it as much i think it's abstracted a lot in the games that we tend to play but like i i do like magic at a cost like something costs i mm. i mean i brought up that that rpg playtest that i did on saturday and i got to play someone who there was a cost you know it's like i was psionic but it's like there's a strain on me as i'm doing things and i love it i love blood magic I love those kind, you know, that kind of stuff, and um, it's like this. This is a a very overt this costs, and so I, I think like even though it's abstracted a lot of times, where it's like, well, I just have spell slots, and then they're gone, and they'll come back tomorrow morning. But um, that maybe there's a cost somewhere, so that's why you can't just stand out in the field and do that constantly, um, even if it's just your own energy that's being that. So, and I think in my worlds. Um, you're going to find the everyday people doing the every everyday good things not being mentioned not really a big part but it's like our world you know there are people uh, you can like look at governments that are doing an unjust war and the governments yeah. who are fighting back and are they just and everybody has problems but there's you know all this going on but 
in in those places there are still people living every day and doing yeah. kind deeds and you come you would come across those but they're never going to make the news because what's making the right. news are the cataclysmic things of the world and that's where heroes tend to find themselves so i think as people go through they'll find uh people who are doing like small acts of good in their village and that's kind of their life but as heroes uh, you're not going to settle down there and just be part of that. And so that's going to be a passing thing that you see. What's going to catch your attention more is, well, there's this great rift and the demons are pouring through, but there's also this great, you know, uh, wizard who is fighting that. And so he's not growing crops because he's like out here making power stones that are going right. to stop the flow of the, the, and now you guys are pulled up into that. And so it's going to end up that right. those things kind of take the center stage but that doesn't mean that there's not like these like everyday type people that you're going to come across who are just right. living life in their village, never traveled beyond. They're not looking for glory or any of that. They're just doing their thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I think like, uh, yeah, kind of swinging back into the interesting ways to weave it. Cause I, I went on a different direction. The knowing like what, where, how magic even plays a role in your game, you know, I think is going to be important. Um, I tend to probably go magic is a lot more prevalent than even I desire as a GM, but it goes that way kind of deal. Um, I always have this thought. It's kind of like the, I always want to do this like urban thing and you're in the back alleys and that's all the game is. And it never happens. I also sometimes think about like, man, what would it be like to have like no items, very little magic. And then immediately I'm like, here, have a chest full of loot, you know, and then it gets thrown out. Um, but like weaving that in, um, I think is interesting. I, I think about there was a situation we were in, in the dormant mind where we got down in like a basement and they were using like a fire elemental as the furnace, basically. I don't know if they, you remembering that um, it was, oh, I do. It, it burst out and we had to fight it too in the middle of that. I think that was the dream uh, monastery maybe or something, but uh I've used a similar thing and I probably ripped it off from that where I remember we were in like a volcanic Island and the little village there had, uh, they had bound ice elementals in a similar fashion around the town so that it was keeping the town in this like dome of cooler air so they could actually survive. Um, I'm sure I ripped that off from an, like a flip of what Matthew had done, but um, I, I like stuff like that too. And I think there's been some recently, that I can't bring to my mind, but I know I've done some just like, here's a practical use for a weird thing. And I think that's a kind of an interesting way to see magic play a role. That's maybe it's not just like someone throwing a fireball or flying I just, through the air. I just uh, finished a video game and I cannot remember the name of it about a month ago where um, magic had a very negative effect on the world. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. So the more people use magic in the world, it brought like, where the magic was coming from this different plane that was like, you know, opposite of the material yeah. plane. And the more people used it, this tear in the world started happening. Hmm. And the more people used it, the wider it got. Yeah. Um, so just having, I think it was kind of cool just to have like that negative. It almost, I mean, you're always going to have your bad people out there doing whatever, whatever they want, whenever they want. Right. But like putting a cap on it in the sense of like, well, I don't want to burst this, you know, burst all of this magic because then there's this down the road and maybe in your story in this video game, it was them trying to close that at the very end of the game. Okay. Wow. So that's cool. 
Yeah, let, let's let's uh, jump to another question here from Eric. Thanks, guys. Um, the uh, number two, I love the idea of a guild as a vehicle for quests or a way to provide direction to a fledgling group of PCs. This provides structure in the early game and immediate connections to movers and shakers. However, what in-world reason would DMs be able to provide for having the low-level PCs tackle problems instead of higher-ranking guild members doing it? If the PCs take care of everything, they really should be asking their superiors, what would you say you do here? After all, as Matthew has said, many games get epic in nature and epic problems call for epic solutions. It's simply working your way up the ladder or prophecies dictating their involvement. Is it simply working your way up the ladder or prophecies dictating their involvement? Again, another good question. You know me. Yeah. I love a good prophecy where... yeah. The person you didn't expect ends up being the one to save the world. But I think uh, all through history, you know, stories have been about this idea that nobody, uh, all great heroes come from <laughs> some <laughs> humble origin, right? All great heroes started off just as people. Uh, and it's only uh, the way situations have unfolded that have made them into great heroes. And then, of course, their actions along the way, what they choose. And uh, so I think uh, whether it's a fact that these guilds, the higher ups, just don't see the importance of this or feel like it's beneath them uh, at the time, yeah, maybe they don't realize it's going to turn into the world changing epic thing that yeah. it does, or maybe they, they're more self-absorbed and have their own interests that uh, they're doing something uh, in that vein. And so you get to do this, whatever it is, it's, uh, it's that idea that from those humble th those humble people who are willing and able uh willingness is is a, as big a part as anything in yep. what makes a great story and so uh for me you know what keeps the you know the higher ups of the guild from taking all that i think a lot of it is either they don't understand or they don't care um or it's this idea that through the twist of prophecy it's going to be you know this one who no one thought would be anything who ends up being the greatest of all Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think my biggest thing with this as a player, not even as a GM would be, well, if I'm doing all this, what's the point of me being in the guild? Like, what are you going to give me for doing this? You know what I'm saying? That's exactly what happened in that <laughs> game. <already. laughs> all of you were like, we're done. We left yeah. the guild. We left yeah. the Thieves Guild. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. We, the we did. name of the game is the Jade Mask, which is the Thieves Guild, and we all left it. Yep. You're done. <laughs> Rhoda, what do you can, what can I say? <laughs> but yeah, I think that, I think even that can be part of the game is the whole, in our world, sometimes we're disillusioned by the organizations that don't seem to get anything done. And uh, I think, you know, in our games, we, we kind of go to these guilds and we, at first we begin to find identity in them. Hey, I'm part of the thieves guild. Hey, I'm part of the, you know, the blacksmithing guild or whatever it is, the guild we choose, the, yeah. the wizards guild. And they're giving me things and it makes me feel like I'm advancing and doing things. And at some point we become disillusioned and mm -hmm. we begin to see that, hey, being part of this is not my identity. I am me and maybe I don't even need that. And I think that's all part of yeah. the gaming too, that whole growth process of a character. Right. It's the same as in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about this question and like one of the immediate things that came to mind was like uh, the like Harry Potter stories. It's like these kids are the ones that are like dealing with 
you know, the Dark Lord trying to come back and all these horrific things. And, you know, part of it's like, it's from their perspective and they're having, throughout all of it, it's like, no, don't tell, we're not going to tell the adults. We're not going to tell the teachers because we'll get in trouble or whatever. But there even are some moments there where it's like, okay, well, what about all these like super powerful, like <laughs> wizards that could be doing something about this? And, um, you know, I, I think about that sometimes one, it's more interesting for the students to be doing it. Right. Or if I can go to my Lord or Lord of the Rings stuff, it's like, okay, why doesn't Elrond do something about this? You know, there's, there's a meme out there. That's like, uh, the one person at the council who's been to Mount doom doesn't, doesn't volunteer to go to Mount. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that, that kind of thing. And part of it's the story, you know, but, um, I think they could have a lot, you know, it's like, well, I'm too busy ruling and, and like stewarding this place that I'm in charge of to take care of this, or, um, maybe I'm washed up, you know, maybe the person's like, they're not actually as powerful as they used to be, or, um, maybe they're selfish, you know, and they're, Maybe they're dealing with, I got to take care of this field over here with my druid spells and I can't go fight the ogres. You know, I need you to do that kind of thing. So I think, I think you can, you can justify in those ways. Uh, um, I like what Fiendish Aura commented here. Uh, They uh, said, if I have a guild setting, I always add two branches, whatever the party doesn't get completed there's an NPC branch that does that. It yeah, makes the world cool. feel more alive. So it's not just you guys. You're not the only movers and shakers in yeah. the world. Uh, but of course, our story is going to focus on you know what you're doing. Uh, right. But that doesn't yeah. mean that some of these other things still don't need done. So that's, that's a good uh, yeah. good input there. That's great. All right, let's go to three here. Um, question three. On the heels of this, uh, you mentioned characters having flaws, but organizations can have flaws as well, whether it's layers of red tape, corrupt leaders, or systematic bias. What would be some interesting flaws for guilds to have? Perhaps these flaws can give room for the PCs to shine. Yeah, I I think you you mentioned them. (laughs) I think Mm. there's some corruption. There's some just uh, inefficiency. There's some... uh, You don't like the new guild leader? Yeah, yeah. You, you good leader. <laughs> yeah, that, the the real flaw with the Jade Mask was Rhoda. <laughs> Sorry, anybody who's not in that game. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll use that, you know, kind of thing. I think uh, the so you guys have been far enough through the initial leader had power and like authority in some ways, but in a lot of ways, it's pretty uh what's the uh superficial yeah and um is it lame duck is that the thing lame duck you don't really do a lot you know kind of is that is that the right term um that's kind of where he was at the end i mean he he had you all come to protect him on his way because his skill set and even his power wasn't really about like martial com you know martial prowess kind of thing it was uh it was like leading and um uh, manipulation and things like that kind of stuff. It didn't do very good if they got attacked by orcs on the road kind of thing. So he needed you, um, with that. So he was kind of in that, maybe even like washed up or just, I don't really care about this anymore kind of level. Um, but then Rhoda is the new, she's the new leader that was, that was chosen, um, by the avatar of mask and, uh, 
and affirmed by you all. <laughs> by the way. Um, but but there was you know that that was more of a like you didn't like the leadership. So um, there's a problem there, and that could be divisive. It was divisive. You all left the guild, um, even though she had never done anything to you. And uh, the um, you know, but that could be an ongoing thing as well within the guild. Maybe there's other people who. There was another lieutenant who maybe thought, oh, I thought I was going to be the new leader, you know, kind of thing. And um, so maybe there's division there. Um, there could just be people who just are comfortable and lazy and don't want to do anything. If if it's a guild that's supposed to be moving the world and nobody cares, that, that leaves a pretty good opening for PCs to come in and be active kind of thing. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on that one? I'm good. Flaws. I feel like almost any flaw you could give an individual, you could probably give to a organization and yeah. um, let that happen. So uh, now on to a couple of questions about the current episode, which actually was last episode. Um, <laughs> so this is for, sorry about that, Eric. Uh, thinking about cosmology and planes, uh, I recall that WAV has no gods other than the legend of Patricia, the flying turtle upon whose back rests all of Onan. Uh, I do remember that too. Uh, can you have the supernatural or the spiritual without the divine? What is the relationship between those? Does it make sense to have things like undead and clerics without gods? So this question kind of being like, if there's not really a divine situation happening in your game, like you don't really have a group of like a pantheon. Um, how does that affect things like divine spells and paladins and clerics and things like that? Could you lean on the elements, or would that still be like a pantheon of gods? You know what I'm saying? I I think you could. I mean, like not not saying like oh the god of fire, right? But like yeah. just just like you're fire drawing power from yeah yeah. yeah. I, I like think that'd be almost way. drawing power from the element or the energy mm -hmm. that is within it. Right. Yeah. I mean, starting to even kind of move like thinking. I don't. I don't know. I'm talking from my ignorance here, but like if like Avatar, like I, that kind of comes to mind for me. I don't right. really know what the what the situation is with like religion or anything in that, but um, that kind of comes to mind is even like drawing on those elements. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I almost wonder about ideals, like, and I don't I don't want to just like re rename, you know, uh, what did we call her last time? The or it's the Raven Queen, um, but like you know, renaming the Raven Queen just the ideal of death, you know, kind of thing. I, I think I don't want to do that, but I I wonder about that ideal of like uh, wrath or envy or those kind of things. If those would even power could power things like that, I don't know, Matthew. You got, you got thoughts on that? Uh, when I look at this question, I think my brain automatically goes to. Well, what would it look like if you didn't have some of these and what would that throw a twist in the world for me that yeah, would be like a right. game building sort of thing it's like oh uh some of the gods have disappeared we don't know what happened and now uh clerics cannot you know banish undead because they don't have the power right. or people yeah. can't die and so everything is undead just walking around because the the god oh. of death is gone you know uh, now of course you don't want to take away cool. 
Yeah. We've talked about this before. You don't want to take away, like if you guy have a player who's a cleric and there's no God, so they have no power. You don't want to take that yeah. away. Uh, but if it's not infringing on any of your players, how could that be part of the twist of your game? It's like, mm-hmm. man, nothing can die right now because the gods are gone. And part of we've got to figure out is like, are they gone forever? Uh, can yeah. we find them? Are are we to become the gods from mm-hmm. now on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it that's going to put the world back in order here? So uh, that's where my mind goes. That's not his question. His question is, can you have this stuff without those gods? And, you know, I mean, you're the GM. You can kind of come up with however you feel like makes sense to you. Uh, but I would, I would play around with... If you didn't want to have the normal gods, I'm assuming there's a reason you don't want to have those normal gods. And if so, okay, well, what can you do in your world that might make it have a twist that none other has? So, yeah. And I don't know if that's something that you would want to take care of, like session zero, like talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, That way it isn't infringing on an idea that a player might have had, like building a character. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a cool idea. Or, or even like, I throw around, I think this is tough. Like we have six players, right? Mm-hmm. In our, in our, in our game. I think that's too many to do like certain types of spotlighting sometimes, but like I was thinking even if you do have a cleric say in this, somehow they are the only person who can do anything, you know, and maybe like, nobody knows why not even yeah, them. Right, They're like, right. no cleric in the world is able to turn undead. And yet somehow this power is alive in me. Yeah. Am I a connection to something that is right. growing again? Or that are the gods cool. trying to come back through me? And, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I don't know, you know, in a group of six, that may be too, like everything's hinging on you, you know, but, <laughs> but maybe not. I mean, you may be able to do things like that. As long as you, you know, this person will never leave your game. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. They can be yeah, the yeah. linchpin. Yeah. Yeah. Fiendish Aura says, best thing to remember is that you are, in fact, God of this universe. If you want to make a world without gods, it's completely up to you. That's why I love homebrew. It's the complete freedom. Yeah. And so Amen. being able to, if you Amen can justify it, homebrew. <laughs> you know, if you can, if you can, <laughs> you can justify things because you're making it. So yeah, that's a good, really good. That's cool. I like that idea of leaning into that, that you said, Matthew, of like, not just trying to figure out a ways to reskin it, like I was kind of saying, but like, what does it look like for that actually to happen is a great idea. Um, all right. So he is at uh, question five now. <laughs> Finally, cosmologies and divine beings almost always imply alignments of one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, are alignments useful? <laughs> for DMs to think about as they decide how NPCs may react to different situations or do the current 5e idea ideas of ideals, bonds, and flaws play that role better? Should GMs encourage their players to think about various alignments during character building? Is it worth it for GMs to create their own alignment access or axes within a given campaign to highlight specific tensions or themes such as chaos versus order or loyalty to the crown versus personal freedom or magic versus science or action versus analysis analysis. Um, I look forward to your responses and promise to put in a good word with Ranthar for you. Sincerely, <laughs> Eric. Yeah. So I'm going to start off by saying 
Eric likes to think deeply about things. We know this. And so some of you DMs out there, you're like, my goodness, I would never have thought about half of this stuff. Uh, I just like to, you know, know if people are chaotic or if they're good, uh, you know. And a lot of times you don't get evil in players, but if you do, uh, that can be fun to play with. I think as a GM, you do as much of this as you enjoy. That's, uh, again, like uh, Fiendish Aura was saying, part of being like the, the, the one who builds all this is if you don't really want to think too much about um, alignment, you don't have to. If you love the idea of like deeply going into uh, flaws and alignments and how this affects everything and chaos versus order, and you can go deeply into that stuff. For me, uh, personally, I like to know kind of the idea that the person has of their character before we start. Like, do they picture, and you can kind of get this through their gameplay, uh, do they consider themselves like a, a lawful good person that you must do right? Right is the thing that we should do as heroes, or they're the kind of person who's like, oh, you never know what I'm going to do, the chaotic neutral. Uh, and sometimes they will claim one thing, but they act completely different. Uh, and that's important to know too, because then that, that shows you that in their head, they feel like they should be doing this, but they really want to be doing this. And uh, so for me, I like to know that much. And then I don't go much beyond that. But I don't know. What about you guys? What do you think about that? Um, I think it was you, Adam, that I was talking about this to a while back. There was an article I read where um, a GM was basically using alignment as like a sliding scale. Was that you mm -hmm. that I talked to about that? Where basically when, when they made big choices um, with consequences, like their alignment would change. So if you decided mm. to do something that would turn you towards the evil side, then your alignment kind of oh, slid. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You're um, kind of talking the fable idea, right? If you ever played the video game fable, oh, yeah. every yeah, yeah. action you take. Maybe it was uh, we, you I was talking to about we, it. No, we did talk to you about like there, uh, and I don't know if this is in 5e or not, but in uh, Pathfinder in 3.5, uh, I'm don't. i not sure what all it was in, but if you were a paladin, who is sworn to be good and lawful mm -hmm. and you did something evil, you could lose your powers and right. then you would become anti-paladin. Maybe that's what we were talking about. I, well, wherever I heard it or wherever I read it, um, it was talking about how obviously on that sliding scale, your character would then like act differently. So then it was also you, your job as the player to then either if you were, say you were neutral and you swayed toward evil for a little bit, if you wanted to get back to neutral hmm. and have people view you as neutral and eventually go the other way, then it was up to you yeah. as a player to start role-playing that way too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder, I feel like I remember that conversation, but I can't remember what the <laughs> context of it was. Um, and again, this is like, I feel like there's a, in my very small, I don't know why I'm like, talking about avatar multiple times and when i, I don't avatar, know anything so but I, I do too um some <laughs> of the lore but this is actually the rpg um i know there's oh, like yeah. a, a scale of balance that you're trying to achieve and how things affect um so i don't know maybe that was part of it too um i do like um and i think this is uh Phoenix oro's comment here about the lawful good player robbing a city armory because why not <laughs> and the government was corrupt but the party didn't know that yet you know that um, so as a player, 
as a player, I, I like it as I like alignment um, and I like the flaws and bonds and all those things too. Um, for me, I like those things to help inform the role play, at least like the beginning of the thing of, of uh, like, that's what it's for, for me. It's, I don't want it to be a massive constraint, but like, can this inform the way I'm role playing? Um, but I really come down to like motivation. I think with these things the most, especially NPCs. And, and I, I, I feel like I learned that from Matthew of like thinking in terms of, you know, Josh, you were talking about having like a, a full manuscript of things. That's totally my, my first campaign was like, I still have the binder that's 500 pages of paper, you know, over the course of that year of like um, every, I could run the game again probably, but uh, <laughs> um, I remember him talking about Matthew, you talking about like uh, when I don't need to have every single thing scripted from this character who's going to talk one the pcs are going to derail it immediately and all my scripts going to be out the window but two like knowing okay if i know the motivations of this person i can respond or be proactive about what i'm saying kind of thing and so i i tend to think in terms like of you know i think i'm trying to answer that question but uh like that idea of like if i can know you know this this uh barkeep's motivations then i'll be able to to talk to the pcs better than if i had a bunch of things lined out so um i like that you know as far as the npc kind of thing thinking in terms of and one other thing i'll say is i feel like i've been influenced definitely by red markets that we've talked about and once again we're eventually we're going to talk about the game eventually because I, I think it's an awesome awesome game but it's good People, everybody you interact with or the players have a weak spot, soft spot, and tough spot. So if, if you're a player, you have that, you, and that informs your role play. Mm -hmm. um, and there can be some reward for putting yourself into harm's way and not, and, and actually, I'm playing the hero because of my soft spot when really I should be worrying about surviving. Um, there can be some reward there. But also, people like your client who you're, you're doing the job for you can use those things to like push on. And I, I think that's informed even like a D and D game for me of, okay, well this noble person who the PCs are dealing with, like what is their weak spot? Um, and I may not be putting in that exact terms, but, but that idea is kind of coming out a little bit and it's, it's helped me a little bit. Yeah. So that's alignment stuff. Uh, yeah, and that, awesome. uh, uh, Eric, we're glad you, you asked those questions. Yeah. We're sorry we got too late, but uh, good conversation nonetheless. Uh, let's see. We have, it's 133. Should we do more? Save some? I think we're going to save them. Okay. Save if them. you've yeah. submitted questions to our haversack, they're not forgotten. They're just <laughs> yep. down in nope. there. Okay. Nope. We, we pull them out eventually. At so, the right time. <laughs> at the right yeah. time. Exactly so, when you uh, need them. Exactly. <laughs> so, hey, we are so thankful that you guys decided to join us today here to talk about uh, what what it's like to become a GM and to to see those new GMs rise uh, and to answer some of these questions and all the stuff that we did. Uh, and we hope you'll join us next time when we're going yeah. to be talking about what, Adam? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We're going to be talking about world building, like magic 
and items. Uh, magic, magic and, and items. items in the world. That'll be a fun one. So yep. do join us next week for that here on Rise of the GM. And uh, do be sure to check out all of our socials where you can ask Adam questions and get stuff into the haversack and all that stuff. Yep, yep. So thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>